This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Good Monday afternoon. Hope you had a great weekend. Nice to have you hanging out with me this afternoon. And and maybe this is going to seem like you're still talking about AA because Rob initially had the conversation, I think about an hour ago, when he was talking with the BC Humanist Organization. And, but in case you weren't there, I'm, I'm going to give a bit of background. But th- this hour, I wanted to take a bit of a different vein. Now, you've heard about the fact that we, there's a couple of court cases here in this country, uh, Toronto and Vancouver, questioning AA and the fact that you have to believe in God or a higher power. And I think it's in Vancouver where one man could lose his job because the job has said you've got to go to AA and he doesn't agree with the 12-step program. And then another court action that's happening in Toronto. I I didn't want to focus on AA so much this half hour. I thought what was kind of interesting was even the idea of some spirituality and the role it plays in maybe curing or getting you back on track or on the right track. And I wanted to talk to John F. Kelly. He is a professor of psychiatry in addiction medicine at Harvard Medical School. He joins us today. Dr. Kelly, thanks so much for your time today. You're welcome. When it comes to research on groups like AA or any other 12-step type of program, do we have much uh, in the way of evidence that shows such programs can really help in treating addictions? We do now, yes. Over the last 25 years, there's been a substantial increase in the amount of evidence and the quality of evidence pertaining to AA and treatments uh, designed to stimulate AA involvement, uh, groups like AA, AA, NA, other 12-step groups, uh, these treatments are called 12-step facilitation. And uh, the, uh, the, the amount of evidence uh, uh, and the rigor of that science has really accumulated substantially since the Institute of Medicine called for more science on AA back in 1990. Uh, and that's led to a number of rigorous randomized controlled trials and uh, a number of rec- uh, mechanism studies to to really show that uh, groups like AA uh, actually confer a causal beneficial effect on recovery and uh, works through mechanisms that are similar to those working in formal treatment, but is able to confer those benefits um, in the communities in which people live for free over the long term. So that's the good news is that we have a free uh, available community recovery support resource that's been shown to actually work. So there are benefits then to such programs? Yes. Why? Yeah, both in terms of effectiveness and cost-effectiveness. Yeah, yeah. So, so then why do you think such programs work? Well, what we have learned from the research in the last 20 years on, 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 on the, this mechanisms of behavior change research, and I've done a lot of this myself, uh, is that uh, principally groups like AA work by helping people to change their social networks, by helping them to avoid high-risk friends or high-risk associates. That actually, uh, in turn, reduces the exposure to cues in the environment, to triggers in the environment. So these would be things like people, places, and things that are, have been associated in the past with alcohol or drug use, uh, which can increase the risk of relapse. So. 
when you change your social network from one of heavy drinking or drug use to one of abstinence and recovery, of course, uh, that is going to remove people from exposure to those kinds of cues. Another way that it works is through boosting uh, coping skills. So it helps people to cope with stress um, and other kinds of uh, challenges that people meet uh, on the road of recovery from addiction. And it does this by boosting uh, cognitive and behavioral skills, as well as um, a thing called self-efficacy. And self-efficacy is a is people's confidence in the belief that they can stay sober when encountering different high-risk uh, conditions. Starting to believe uh, in themselves. Also, Sorry, John, continue. But just believing yeah. in themselves is what you're saying. Uh, yeah, having mm-hmm. confidence in their ability to be able to cope with high-risk situations without drinking or using drugs. So, in other words, they're what they call their abstinence self-efficacy. Okay. Um, yeah. So, and a few other things that we've learned is that it works uh, also through helping people to uh, reduce impulsivity and craving. Uh, we know these two factors are associated with an increased risk of relapse, and AA has been shown to reduce these over time in people who attend. Uh, another factor is spirituality. So it boosts people's spirituality and spiritual practices uh, it's not the major, it's not the most major uh, mechanism, but it is certainly one. And it seems to be one for, pick, for those particularly uh, who have been severely affected by addiction. Uh, and it may be just the desperation makes them more open to ideas uh, about spirituality and a higher power. Um, and that, for some people, actually is another mechanism by which it helps them stay sober and in remission. Um, some of the mechanisms through which that itself may work is that it helps to reframe stress. We know that spiritual ideas and practices help to reframe and reinterpret stress. So that is kind of a cognitive reinterpretation which can have an effect on people's emotions that makes people feel better and, and helps to mitigate that stress, which can be a relapse risk. Um, and uh, it also uh, can be a, a way, for example, prayer is associated with hope, and hope is a positive emotion. So the idea of using prayer for some people can be an asset to them in in the sense that it instills hope, that there's potentially someone out there or something out there can help them, and hope uh, can help propel people forward. So in these ways, we we, we think that uh, spirituality is playing a a role psychologically in helping people to stay sober in AA. How would you even define spirituality? Because I think that's at the the crux of this argument as well. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, I don't think we... Uh, there's no consensus on what spirituality right. is. I mean, I think there's, there is consensus on what addiction, uh, what religion is, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, AA does not meet... Well, 12-step programs do not meet the criteria of, of a religion, per se, even though it's religious. It's not a religion. Uh, in other words, it has... Uh, kind of practices and ideas and verbiage which is associated with religion, but it's really doesn't really doesn't really fit the same kind of mold as a regular religion it, 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 because it's basically left up to individuals how they how they interpret any of that or even want to use any of that. So AA is kind of different in that regard in that it just leaves it up to the individual to use it if it if they want and if they don't they can you know, forget about that and just use other aspects of AA which are available which can help them stop drinking or using drugs. 
And even in having this conversation, I I know a lot of people are saying, well, if these people who are taking AA to court, if they don't like the fact that God is mentioned in some of the steps, well, then don't go to AA. But here in Canada, and as I said, one of the court cases involves a lot of people at their workplaces will say, you know what, we want to support you as you try to turn things around or courts dictate that you have to go to AA or NA. And I think I think that's the problem here, John, then, that you can see the benefits of a 12-step program, but not the fact that it has to be mandatory for people. Right, I agree. Yeah, I think, I think giving people an array of options that are known to be effective uh, would be the best bet, and not forcing people to, to, to do any one particular, uh, uh, follow any one particular path. I think giving people options is key. Um, and, uh, you know, AA could be one option. Uh, other kinds of recovery support services could be, uh, you know, other, other mutual help groups like Smart Recovery, Life Ring, uh, or, or some kind of counseling. Um, uh, an addiction relapse prevention counseling could all be other options which people could uh, hopefully choose and benefit from. We know there are many pathways to recovery, so yeah. uh, it's not, not just AA. Even though AA is an effective one, it's not for everybody. Well, and AA is probably what a lot of the other programs have modeled themselves off of uh, to the point where maybe not specifically to the God or the higher power, but do you think they've at least said people have to work through different steps to gain that confidence back and to be able to handle the alcohol or drug triggers in different situations? Yes, yeah. I, I mean, I think there's a lot of commonality um, among these uh, different uh, peer-led mutual support groups like LifeRing and Smart and AA. Uh, and I think principally what it is is the lived experience of, of recovery. You know, people, I've been there, I've trodden that path, uh, I know how to do it. And when you get, you know, uh, you know, tens, hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people who have trodden the path successfully to recovery, then that is a powerful uh, a power of example that people then can follow. And we do know that there are groups like Smart Recovery and LifeRing, uh, which are secular groups, non-religious, non-spiritual groups, that um, uh, help people get and stay in recovery over the long term. And you don't have to be saying a prayer at the end of the service, the service, or I'm back in church here, but at the end of the session or, or having to speak to a higher power or a higher spirituality then. Exactly. Dr. John Kelly is a professor of psychiatry and addiction medicine at Harvard Medical School. And Dr. Kelly, you were saying that there has been research done to show the efficacy of the 12-step programs, and you were listing a number of things. I wonder, though, how important it is just to be meeting in that group, because we know how important group therapy is, and the fact that then you have to be more accountable. Is, Is that even more important than the spiritual side of any of these programs? Yeah, it's hard to dis, you know, completely, um, you know, remove the the effects of these different um, mechani- different mechanisms mm. because they're all they're all interacting dynamically over time. But um, having said that, we do try and do that um, scientifically, statistically. We can try and partial out the specific effects. But I think you're right. I mean, I, I think as I mentioned, you know, the, the, all of these groups are running groups. They are social networks of people interacting with one another and providing accountability. That's a word you used earlier, uh, which is very important. You know, one of the things that 12-step programs have explicitly is this thing of having a sponsor. So a sponsor is kind of like a, uh, like a coach. You can think of that person as like a, a coach that you give permission to to, to, to kind of get 
get you to the gym, as it were, but in this sense, get you to meetings and get keep you on task. Um, and um, this, uh, this idea is an old one, of course. We know that as human beings, even we have good intentions, we can fail in our commitment to go to the gym or to eat right or all these things in regular life, let alone um, when we're trying to recover from a very serious addiction problem. So having that accountability and somebody who can kind of help us stay accountable over time when you're trying to change your behavior is very powerful. Um, and I think in general, uh, the, the, the dynamics in, in groups, um, uh, you know, in, in psychotherapy groups, but in mutual health groups, um, provide many therapeutic uh, aspects like universality and installation of hope and uh, catharsis and imparting of information and all these factors we know are, are of value and a therapeutic value. So these are potent factors that are responsible in part for conferring benefits from groups like uh, LifeRing, AA, SMART, etc. Well, even when we go back to your um, evidence of spirituality or prayer, or we, we could put meditation in there as well, right? Anything that... Uh, <laughs> Again, it's all the definitions, right? People, I think, uh, are uncomfortable with the word prayer. But as you say, prayer is a sign of, of showing some hope in something as well. Yeah, exactly. I, I, the way I think about it is that you know, what's the purpose psychologically of a prayer? And I think one of the purposes is that it instills an element of hope. If you're putting out a prayer, it, 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 it actually evokes this notion of maybe there's some hope that if I put out this prayer that, that something good will happen. Um, I think one of the other things, um, you know, you mentioned meditation. Meditation is, is now being shown empirically, uh, particularly mindfulness meditation, has been shown empirically now in com- combination with cognitive behavioral relapse prevention to actually, again, be a, an effective treatment. So combining something which ostensibly has not been included in our, in our scientific therapies uh, is now being included and shown to, to work. Um, yeah, I think one of the things, even if you don't believe in, in, in you know, if there's something out there in terms of uh, sending out a prayer, is that uh, it, it, it's, I think it, what it does, it amplifies the intention that the person may have as well. So if you are saying, you know, God help me stay sober today, as is done in, in spiritual groups like AA, um, what that does is that it may actually internally reverberate, underscore the intention in that person's brain that makes it more likely that that person is going to stay sober just by virtue of the fact that they're underscoring and amplifying that intention. You know, you referred to even mindful meditation. And sometimes I think in our crazy world, we never give ourselves a chance to just turn everything off and be a little more uh, introspective, and I and I'm wondering if that is also something when you when you look at our society and you look at addictions, if people need that opportunity to just be in their own head. Does that make any sense to you, John? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for a long time, and I think increasingly nowadays, uh, there's there's more focus on, or at least in part of our society, that that uh, that. Uh, turning things off is actually a way of kind of getting turned on, if you will, in terms of getting in touch with yourself more. I think we're so distractible and distracted by all of the bells and whistles of technology that are very tempting and 
uh, kind of like, you know, uh, email is just so, uh, I know it myself, you know, just uh, constantly on email and, and text and everything is, is, is so is so in contact with everything in the world and, and all these other uh, entities. It's very hard to actually create a space where one can actually reflect. This is very important, of course, in therapy when you need to understand a little bit more, get more insight and uh, a view on oneself and uh, of where one's been and also where one wants to go. And this is critical in, in therapy uh, to be able to do that. We're glad you answered our email. Uh, but one last <laughs> thing then, is there a way, have you, have you been able to look in your research to see if uh, spirituality, prayer, meditation, however you want to frame this, if it can actually prevent addictions? <sighs> Like, if you've got a strong spiritual and meditation base, is there a, a better chance that you won't be uh, an addict? Or some people, it's just that's their personality or the way they are made up. Well, we, we, it is correlated with uh, a lower incidence of alcohol and drug use disorder. Um, now, that could be specifically to do with the religion, or it could be uh, as in Islam, for example, or it could be um, kind of the, 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 the cultural, broader cultural context uh, from which, out of which that uh, culture emanates from. Because some religions, uh, you can't, because you can't drink or under some religions, is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. And I, but other ones actually proscribe heavy use. So they would proscribe against intoxication, for example, because intoxication can lead to bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would proscribe that. They would be against that. And so that kind of cultural, religious, religio-cultural, um, uh, you know, those admonitions and proscriptions against heavy use does protect people. That's what it looks like. Uh, even when you look across the United States, for example, you, you see kind of uh, half the incidence of alcohol and drug use disorders in the Bible Belt areas. And, uh, uh, now, whether that's due to the, to the, you know, to religion, cultural religion, we don't know for sure, but it's definitely correlated with those things. And we do know from other kinds of clinical studies that people higher in religious beliefs and practices tend to have uh, lower incidence of substance use disorder and epidemiological studies, and it's also protected against relapse. Very interesting. Dr. Kelly, thanks for your time today. My pleasure. Good talking to you. Bye-bye. Dr. John F. Kelly, he is a professor of psychiatry in addiction medicine at Harvard Medical School. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott, weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.